I never know how to start these things. We're back here in... Uh, actually, this is the first episode we've done in my garage with you, huh? Yes, it will be my first uh, garage episode, yeah. What do you think of the place? You've got a lot of tools. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes one to know one, and I am a tool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I built this these shelves. I call myself the king of shelves, and I think no, there's no greater evidence of that than when you're in my garage. Yeah, uh, impressive actually that you've actually been able to do that. I, I live in a condo, obviously, and I have about I have one small toolbox, and uh, every time I need something, I have to go down to Home Depot and pick <laughs> it up. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a one at a time kind of guy. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it became an obsession for me. Well, not an obsession, but I got really into it when I first got married, and we got all this new furniture because we had nothing. And then I kept putting stuff together, and eventually we stopped. And I was like, Brittany, is there another project you want me to do? She's like, No, there's nothing. I'm like. I think I should build something, <laughs> and so it's just been a, a long, arduous journey uh, yeah. to get where we are now. Well, good, yeah. The investment in power tools, uh, I can see, is, uh, is evident. So um, I don't have any power tools um, when I have to build something or do something in the condo. Uh, uh, it's all manual at my end, and I'm not used to manual labor. Yeah. So. It's, it's, well, you're from Canada. <laughs> That's correct. Well, how, did, how did Canada get built? You know, America, <laughs> I just watched The Men Who Built America on the History Channel, which, by the way... I love watching History Channel shows because it shows me acting is a lot harder than I think it is because <laughs> those boys are really trying hard. But, you know, it's all about the, you know, the uh, uh, Carnegie and, and um, uh, J.P. Morgan and these guys that like, you know, basically super capitalist, probably a lot more murder took place than they showed. <laughs> That's right, yeah. What's Canada's history like? Who built Canada? Not as exploitative as the, as the American one, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I think, look, we have the French and we have the, the English actually in Canada, and um, they kind of divvied up the country around the two major portions that would be Lower Canada and Upper Canada, Upper Canada being Ontario, Lower Canada being um, Quebec, and then, of course, some ancillary areas close to the ocean. Um and the French had Quebec, and, you know, that's what we have. Um, we are to a, a properly a, a two-language country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we support French and English equally. Um, hmm. So it's it's quite interesting. So it is different. Um, short story, I remember when Marlboro Cigarettes, uh, Philip Morris tried to come into Canada, they asked to, to basically do their Marlboro Cigarettes, um, and the company said, the Canadian government said, well, you have to put French on the, on the packaging, um, mm. because everything has to have French and English in equal amounts. Um, and they said, no, we don't do that. You know, we're American. Mm. And um, they said, okay, well, you can't sell cigarettes in Canada. Um, subsequently, a Canadian tobacco company um, took up the name Marlboro in Canada. I don't think anybody really? smoked the cigarettes, but they did hang on to the name, essentially. So, wow, yeah. that's interesting. So. They're like, we're going to kill our citizens <laughs> the old-fashioned way with maple syrup. That's right. That out of <laughs> Diabetes, yes. Well, you know, we were talking before the we started recording here about the difference of culture of Canada and, and America. And it seemed, so one of the things, and this is going to tie into what we talk about with the early church, I think. Um, I hope it does. <laughs> we'll see how good I am at this. Eventually. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get there. Um, it, it, there was more of a sense of a camaraderie, I think. And in America, like we, we like to say we're the United States, but there is a lot more emphasis on independence. I think where like you, it's a land of opportunity pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make a name for yourself, help, help you. But the church is different in that regard. But tell me a little bit about what Canada, what it was like for you growing up. Um, well, it was great. I, I really liked the country. Um, I, lo- I grew up in a big city though. So growing up in Toronto is a very much an urban, uh, cosmopolitan, global type city. Um, I'm sure people from New York, Chicago, Boston, or DC, um, LA, San Francisco, um, would understand, um, 
but I do think America is much more regionalized in that regards. And now Canada has its regions, like we have the down the folks down east, we have the mm. the French, we have Ontario, and then we have what we call the Western provinces. And and each area has kind of has its own regional differences. But I think Canadians are pretty proud to be Canadian, um, even if they're first or second generation uh, from another country, um, immigrant. Uh, they really love being Canadian, so I think that's there. I think I see it in America as well. To be quite honest with you, I think you know the the Southerners are very much connected to one another in that mm-hmm. regards. I think the Midwesterners, lovely people. Every time I go to the Midwest in this country, uh, I'm amazed at how friendly and kind they are. Uh, and then I can go to like places like the Northeast, and I and I see you know continuity there as well. Um, the, the hyper individualism of the American notion of, uh, me as an individual, sort of that libertarian mentality, I mm-hmm. think is a lot more prominent in this country than it is in Canada. Um, but you know, maybe that goes back to the, your history of your country and the, how you guys came into being, um, and you're, you're willing to fight for what you believe in your ideals. Yeah. Um, Canada basically was under the dominion of, <clears throat> called the dominion of Canada under, the uh, the British and uh, in 1867 we said that's enough and we're going to be our own independent country and they kind of said okay yeah so yeah so it's 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 not as uh, volatile and and rife with strife as it was in the U S obviously yeah yeah and that makes sense and so what we want to talk about today is uh, the early church and this is kind of more of a conversational episode uh, and we're going to follow the conversation Lindley and I have lunches together and the conversation goes all over the place, so we're going to try to make it a little more focused. But we want to talk about the early church, and one of the things you, you mentioned, I think it was on one of the first episodes of this uh, podcast, was how a church, there's not really a one ideal church. And we often look to the Acts Church as saying, like, this is the gold standard, this is what everyone should strive to be. And while that's true, maybe in essence, you can't expect an American church to be like a Middle Eastern church at, you know, 33 B.C. or whenever. Um and so, AD, AD sorry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here. <laughs> Correct facts, live exactly. on air. Um, <laughs> but the, this one of the verses that I think everyone has up in their home in some way, or uh, we have it up in ours, I think Brittany recently took it down, it says, Acts 2, verses, uh, verse 42, 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, and, to, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we all like to have that up in our home because it's a symbol of fellowship, having parties, having people over, community with with church people. Um, but what what is it? What did it mean? You think in that context? Maybe a little bit, a little bit deeper than uh, just we enjoy enjoy each other's company. But I want to where this ties in with the country is the idea of the church that can cut across. Um, the divisions in our own country, you know, and we live in a very divided time. Perhaps it always has been, uh, but we feel it in the weight of our generation. How does the church cut across that? So let's dissect this verse a little bit and uh, kick us off here with what what you would pull from that. Sure. So I, I recently stumbled across this verse, and, and my advice to you is to have Brittany put that back up again in your home. Uh, I, I think it's a powerful verse, uh, sometimes lost, because we tend to think of, we jump on the fellowship aspect of things and think that, oh boy, my home now or my church will be full of fellowship. Mm-hmm. And uh, that does not really equate to bagels and uh, coffee on Sunday mornings or some sort of like a potluck lunch after church. Right. Um, fellowship is something richer and deeper than that. And, and it seems that in the modern church, which has, in my opinion, and again, I'll say this as a, a, an opinion, an informed one, but an opinion nonetheless, is that I think that we have equated these sort of things of as activities that we do, and that somehow um, 
proves we're Christians mm. is a sort of proof text. Um, I think it's problematic to think of fellowship solely in that perspective. The fellowship was deeper and richer in the early church. Um, we have we have the case where we talk about Ananias and Sapphira and what was going on. They were selling all that they had and pooled it in common, helping one another. Um, you know, now we can talk about the motivation for that separately. I think that's that, that can be discussed, and I think there's a rationale around that, what happened there. But the fact is, is that when they talked about fellowship, it was rich and deep. Mm-hmm. It was not a matter of simply just like, hey, um, can you come over? To, you want to come over to my place? I'm making fried chicken this week. Or, yeah. you know, uh, so it's not that. It's something deeper than that. And um, And then we think of prayer. Wow, I mean... Prayer is extremely important. Uh, that's a whole podcast in itself. What is prayer? What does prayer demand of us? And what are we expecting in prayer? Mm-hmm. What is What are we hopeful for in prayer? Uh, what is included in prayer? Praise is included in prayer. Worship is included in prayer. And what do these terms actually mean? I think for many people, prayer simply is a listing of things that they need to make their this world, this temporal part of life, so much more uh, accessible to them. Yeah. Lord, if you give me that better job, I'll be able to have that better car. And we may not say that explicitly sometimes, but I think we actually think it, and we, you know, and we actually th- hope in that regards. Yeah. And so that's troubling in one sense. Now. Again, I'm, this is a broad brush I'm painting with here. This is not, I'm not picking any one particular group of people or one sect within the, you know, the church. I think this happens and can happen very easily. It's, a, it's insidious in a way how it can slip into uh, our lives um, and take over. And, 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 you know, the typical biblical word here is idolatry, mm-hmm. right? So we, we turn prayers into a form of idolatry, actually, because we're chasing something in that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a pretty common thing, and and you know Jesus does instruct us to ask, you know, and you'll receive. But I I commonly will have the prayer, even if I don't specifically say it, like God, if you would make me a millionaire, oh my gosh, I could help so many other people. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. And, and listen, I, I hear, and I believe it. <laughs> I hear I, I hear business owners say that right, like yeah. Lord, make me successful as a business because the more money I make, the more people I can put to work, and the more money. Yeah. And 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 there's an aspect of that, I guess. I mean, one doesn't want to sort of belittle that, but I think that. When one is in prayer, one is one needs to think of prayer as a communion with God uh, mm-hmm. and that closeness, um, which really ties us back to fellowship, yeah. uh, fellowship with God in this particular sense. Those moments that you have with Him and He with you, um, as you know, it, I remember in the in, in in Genesis where Adam, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That sort of imagery is very powerful. Mm. That God with Adam, and it, it, in a sense, isn't that what we hope for in eternity? To be yeah. with God once again, that people fulfilled uh, to the absolute extent. Yeah. So, so one of the things you mentioned was the the different idea of fellowship than we would have, where we have a potluck dinner, a, a quick party, and then everyone goes home. We're sitting right here in the suburbs of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I have my own patch of grass that is dying on me, and the, the you know <laughs> the suburbs, modern day suburbs, are really kind of dumb. You have like five foot of grass on the side of your. I always just tell, I've been telling Brittany, I'm like, there's no point in having individual walls on the side of our house. But <laughs> anyway, we're very spread out, and you know the early church would. Their, their, their culture was basically living on top of each other, right? Like their mother, like there was no mother-in-law suite. The mother-in-law slept in the house. And was it like that? Was it more like? 
Well, look, I, I think if, the, if you're asking me anthropologically how, you know, how communities and, and cities and urban areas and how, you know, these things evolve, I think, yeah, we've evolved to a certain state. Do I think it's ideal in any particular sense? No, it's very functional, though. I know that I know what's mine and what's yours, so yeah. to speak. And I, I think there's a there's an understanding there. Um, but I think back in the day that that sort of, again, you buy, bind it back to the concept of fellowship. I think that that people have been close proximity to one another. Mm-hmm. Um there's something inherent, something sort of emerges from that, yeah. which 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 I think is lost in today's society. Yeah. Right. When you you know when you're now we're kind of fortunate. Let's be blunt. You know we can't have FaceTime or what you know Facebook Messenger or Skype or whatever. Pick your poison, so to speak, nowadays, uh, where we can video chat with people. But there's something I think some sort of some sort of the essence of it is somehow still missing to a large degree. Yeah. Uh, living with someone is very. Very, very different experience than talking to them via via a, a video. Yeah. Well, you know, the, one of the biggest disses you can have in the suburbs is, I love when I see this, is somebody will mow their lawn right on their line. And, <laughs> and it's like, what are you supposed to do? Just continue mowing everybody's yard until you just never go home? You know, like, but it's just so funny to me because you see like really tall grass and sometimes mostly it's mine that's still tall. <laughs> and I hate when they do it. I'm like, dang it, now I got to go do it to you right. know, uniformity. Um, but you know, when we talk about the early church, they broke bread in their homes, and they there wasn't like a church on every block that you could go to either, right? There was pretty much a church in the town, and that was your option. Um, and so is is this kind of fellowship and breaking bread together, is this possible in American life? And if so, how? Because we're, we're very distanced, and we have a lot of options, and it kind of leaves the churchgoer to be like, this church doesn't meet my needs, I'm going to bounce and go find one where they do what I want to do. Sure. What's the, what's the disconnect there from the early church? Well, look, I, I think that one has to accept the fact, and the fact is that is that they didn't have many choices. The church was early and it was growing, and so they have a different set of problems than we do today. So that's yeah. that's that's to be truthful. We have to you know, be cognizant of that to a large yeah. degree. But I do think that when they talked about fellowship and growing in a church and attending a church and being together as one, uh, being the ecclesia, the called out ones, uh, using that Greek term, uh, I think that it's, it is very different. They they were one. I, I think unity uh, and oneness was extremely important to them. Uh, they were, Paul was searching people out as an example, right, to, yeah. to destroy the Christians. Um, it was not an easy time to be a Christian in the early, in the early church. Um, it was difficult. Um, so I think that the context is different. But I think the motivating factor should still be the same today, and we should be able to find ways to be equally as in full fellowship one with another. Mm-hmm. Um, it can include a bagel and coffee, but if that's all it is and you feel like you've checked the box because you've done that, I think we've missed the purpose of it. The purpose of it is to get together, to share one another's burdens, to bear one another's burdens, to help one another, mm-hmm. to commune with one another and deepen our relationship with one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, so to speak. Yeah. And and for a lot of people, church nowadays in the modern era is very transactional. Um, I go in. Uh, I do what they ask me to do. If I'm on the uh, one of the teams, so to speak, um, uh, you know, I'm on the cleanup crew. I'm on the parking crew, and so I did my task. I'm heading back home, and uh, boy, wasn't that great today, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said hi to five people on the way in, so I, I can check the box. I think it's got to be, as I said, I think yeah. the word richer and deeper is really appropriate in this context. And fellowship includes uh, some of those things, but it also is different. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, it's hard. 
it is very hard to cut across. And I'm guilty of, I play guitar on Sunday. I'm like, oh, I got to go tweak my box so I don't have to talk to people on the way in. Or like, <laughs> right. I'm going to go in the back and pray real quick. So I'm like, I can't be there. But I, and I think that's what the beauty of the church is, is when we kind of give up ourselves and you have to leave not only your agenda at the door, but you leave, you're no longer a Republican or a Democrat or what we're all there to meet the cross. And it doesn't mean you're not true to yourself anymore. And we all become this homogenous, you know, futuristic clone system. Uh, but how, how do we different people with strangers, how do we seek to become more like the early church in, in that fellowship aspect? Well, look, it's not just friendship, right? So fellowship and friendship are two different things. I I can't be everyone's friend. I can't be everyone's buddy, so to speak. Um, and a lot of people don't want to be my friend or my buddy, so <laughs> so we have that. So we're in that regards, we're a separate podcast. Yeah, Why is yeah that? another full podcast <laughs> yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, um, probably a podcast with no answers to that question, but none, <laughs> no one want to step up and tell me. Yeah, but but no, I think you're right. I, I think that how do we do that in today's day and age? And I think a lot of that would revolve around how do we get involved. Um, and how do we share those truths one with another? Can I actually stop you as you're going in and say, hey, brother, can you pray for me? Yeah. Can I can I see someone and be attuned to the Spirit and realize they're in need of something, right? Mm, I, I think that's, that's, I, that's how, that's what fellowship means. I'm in full fellowship with that individual, independent of how close I am in terms of friendship, but the fellowship aspect means I can perceive and see with spiritual eyes something about them. And yeah. I think that, is where the transition takes place. And once you do, then you start to see how life can be very different. And you see the other person now, not just simply as a box I have to check and say hi to um, or void in certain cases, but but someone that may need, may, may need me. And, and it may yeah. simply be that smile. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you hit on something that is the crux of this whole conversation is they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we jumped in right to, I think, Acts 4. Uh, but, you know, if you start from Acts 1, it's what happened. They were full of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit descended. They all, tongues of fire, that whole thing, the day of Pentecost. And that really was what drove the church. They were 100% experiencing this new life in Christ, this new life um, with the Holy Spirit. And I think to your point, it, church becomes a, a series of checking boxes and making sure oh, I, I parked the cars, I did my job, I mean, I put the money in the right, plate and right, I left. Right, exactly. Um, and we miss that spiritual aspect of it, and that's really the driver of the church. And I, my, uh, my personal belief, again, it's an opinion, why so many people have left the church is because they have not encountered the living God. They've encountered programs, they've encountered nice people, they've encountered a safe place for their kid to play for an hour, but they have not encountered the Holy Spirit. And to your point, there, there's a story I'd like to share. Um, my parents were getting a divorce in 2007. I was at college, and I came home um, on a Sunday morning. My, uh, I went to University of Florida. Ocala was about 45 minutes away, so I was home. And uh, I was just grieving, and my girlfriend had dumped me. It was just like the worst summer of my life to the point of just trying to process all this stuff, wondering where God is, why he wasn't fixing things. And I just went down to the altar. One thing I liked about my church, they had time of prayer, and we had the old-fashioned altars. You go up there and kneel. And I just went down there, and I just started to cry. And I couldn't control it, and I was just really grieved. And all of a sudden, I felt like this hand on my shoulder, and um, there's just this guy that I honestly barely knew. His name was Andy uh, Alfrey, if he's by any chance listening, anyone knows him. I've, I've never had a conversation in my life with this guy, but he just started praying this prayer over me of comfort and peace. And then 
I mean, I just felt such a connection with the spirit through through this man praying for me. And then I, on my left shoulder, I felt this other person praying for me and crying with me, just like weeping. And I was just like, who who's up here with me? Turned out it was my future wife, Brittany. Had we were friends, and like she kind of knew what was going on, but she was down at the altar praying with me. And it was wow. just this beautiful moment where two other people, you know, Brittany knew me a little bit better at the time. We were just friends, um, and didn't date for years later. And this guy Andy that I barely knew, but I've just that was a moment that I cannot get out of my head. No matter how many times I've de- want to deny God or want to wonder where He's at in my situations, to to know that that was a moment in church where the Holy spirit was active and he met me in a broken place through his people. It was, it was the literal body of Christ. And I think you're on to something with, with the Holy spirit and, and it's in a, in its pure form to, to be driven by the spirit, to go up and pray with people. And I don't see that opportunity in a lot of churches nowadays with this time of prayer, just time to just be there and be led by the spirit. Well, you know, the the modern church is driven by uh, timelines. It's driven by uh, we have uh, a window in which yeah. to speak, whether it be on television or we have a live stream going on, and we have we have six services because it's important that um, Johnny Preacher get up there and, and yeah. make his six sermons for the day. And gotta we sell have the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got the timeline, and yeah. we can't afford to to to. And that level of interaction has been kind of pushed out into the the concept of the home church or the small groups or the yeah. city groups or pick whatever term is popular nowadays. I I, I can't keep up with the, the the naming conventions. I used to say cell group's a great name because it might feel like you're in a prison. When you go to <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's where some of that has been uh, pushed down into because as churches have gotten larger, it becomes more and more difficult to create the time for that. And we have a lot of people who live and, and breathe, um, and in this country in particular, we'll use America as an example, on Sundays where, where the NFL kicks off at 1230 and they, they want the three hour pregame show. Yeah. So, you know, they are on a tight timeline. You have to deliver for them. Um, it seems to be counterintuitive that that becomes your priority. And again, somehow we've returned back to the concept of idols once again. So, um, right. I, I think that's important. Um, but, but, you know, if we go to that front part of that verse, and if you want to read that verse again, I'll, I just want you to do that. Yeah. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Right. So this is, I, I think, the first, you know, phrase there is the apostles' te- devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, it is appalling to me that, um, heaven forbid anyone call anybody a devotee anymore in the church, mm-hmm. uh, devoted to anything. Um, if you are, you're considered a wacko to some degree. <laughs> um and to so devoted to the apostles' teaching. I mean, when was the last time you felt that you were you were devoted to the apostles' teaching, sitting in your church community? Uh, many church services lack the apostles' teaching, lack uh, teaching at all. Actually, to be quite blunt, and really, what we have is a a comfortable um, twenty minute uh, sort of a story and uh, life sort of. Um, application. It's motivational speaking. Yeah, it's a motiv- let's be blunt. It is motivational speaking. Yeah. speaking, and, but, and it's kind of like, here's a life application for you so that you can be successful, yeah. um, which somehow defeats the purpose and the point of the second two things, which is true fellowship and prayer then, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? And I think that if we don't have this uh, sort of, uh, uh, if we aren't devoted to the apostles' teaching, we really can't get it right. And so that's why I see the modern church struggling 
um, to to figure out why don't we have revival? Why don't we have why don't we have uh, powerful prayer? Why don't we have the work of the Spirit uh, uh, richly in our churches anymore? Why don't we have the move of God that we've been asking for? Why don't we see the things that we expect? And why do we have to look back at the early yeah. church? Why isn't it happening in our church? And mm-hmm. I think that is because we have failed to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, you know, whether you call it Sunday school or midweek service or whatever the case may be, all that has sort of disappeared. So you're talking about bi- biblical study. Yep. Hardcore, get in the get in the weeds. Yeah, the, the, you know, it, to a large degree, um, it, it, it is is exactly that. What do we mean by the apostles' teaching? What were they talking about? Well, mm. they were talking about Jesus Christ. They were talking about what it means to be in Christ. Uh, they were using the scriptures. Um, to, to show what is meaningful, what is what is rich in life, where our focus should be. Um, and yet somehow um, we think that the motivational speech and the pat on the back speech that that is that um, parades itself and masquerades as a sermon is somehow meaningful. It's not, right? Yeah. And that's why people end up going back week after week hoping to get something and getting nothing. Hmm. Um, so um, I think we need to have... Um, both right we need to have proper good solid preaching um, but i think also we need to have that sort of uh, opportunity for people in the church so that they can devote themselves to the apostles teaching um what would what would that look like devoting yourself to the apostles teaching well i think anytime you know if you think about the word devote that tells you the extent to which you should be participating in something Mm -hmm. this is not a casual thing uh look I'm as guilty uh, at different points in my life as being unable to to pray for more than like 30 seconds before I fall asleep at right, night. Right, right. I've been guilty of not taking time to go through any sort of devotional activities, uh, reading two or three verses of. I'm like, am I? I'm, my eyes are tired. Right. I, you know, I'd rather read, go to bed, you know, and fall asleep. Um, so I understand what that means, but practically speaking, um, our lives as Christians, uh, if we want to have proper fellowship, if we want to have prayer, um, if we want to have a rich relationship with God, I think that devoting ourselves to what it means to uh, to understand what it means to know God, um, which comes as a set of teachings, um, you know, I think that's what we need to spend some time with. And, you know, understand what does it mean to be baptized? What does it mean to know Jesus Christ? Who is Christ? Who is this one who gave himself uh, for us? I, these are the kind of questions yeah. I think that we're being asked and answered in the in those sort of um, meetings. Well, it sounds like a lot of pressure to put on one pastor uh, to make the entire church unified in this front. And we get we get larger and larger churches these days, mega churches. I don't know if this is a new concept. I know Charles Spurgeon had a huge church, but it, I don't think for the most part, maybe outside of, and in Protestant churches especially, these, can one, well, I guess what I'm getting at is, can one pastor be the pastor of 16,000 members in his church? Is that doable? And how so? Do you see any dangers with that? Because what we're talking about here is fellowship with with a church. And I know we have city groups, small groups, cell groups, um, right? <laughs> um, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then that's kind of an extension. Uh, my church in Gainesville refers to them as micro churches, and I like that idea of like it's a church within a church. Is do you find that to be effective? This is maybe 100% opinion. Would you would you go to a mega church and have you been and what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I've been to the the mega church. I've been to a church actually in California, and I would I visited when I visited my friends in California, and we go to a church that has probably I guess twelve to fifteen thousand 
um, sort of members, uh, let alone an additional probably three to 4,000 on a Sunday morning uh, of people who just like are hangers on and just come by every once in a while. But there, there's enough people in flux coming by. And, yeah. um, and they would have, you know, like five sermons on Sunday morning. Um, starting at 7 a.m. and um, I did not make the 7 a.m. service, <laughs> um, but yeah. but my point is is that they had five sermons um, and then they had two Sunday evening services as well, um, and one pastor did the five on Sunday morning and a different pastor, an equal co-pastor he was called, did the two Sunday evening services. That's a lot, a lot, and that's a big church. Um, so I'll use them as example, and, and I think that they did a bang up job, and I think they, but they also had a. a a large array of, of, of classes and things going on as well. So hmm. before or after the one, any one of those services, you were able to attend a class, uh, uh, something where you were learning more in detail, right? Hmm. So it's one thing, the pastor can only cover so much on a Sunday morning to an right. audience of, say, 5,000 people. Es- especially with the 3,000 come, come and go, you know. Like, that's right, exactly. You can't really go super deep on a Sunday morning. No, to, and nor should you, by the yeah. way, right? So that's where the time to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching takes place. So we need to have that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Peter can have his sermon on, on you know, when he the, after the day of Pentecost, he can have the grand sermon, but he's got to go into these smaller areas and, and, and yeah. go one by onesies, twosies, and sort of like work with individuals and smaller groups to help give them the details that are required for them to to undergird what they've just experienced. But he I, he would be pouring into other spiritual leaders. Absolutely, and that's why there were, you know, there were mm-hmm. deacons that were commissioned right away and there you know then there, there there is there has to be a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Um the the pastor is a powerful position, but it's not the only position in the church. And and it's no different than any other large institution that wants to be successful. Yeah. You have to have a leader that's great. Um and hopefully he is empowered by the God to, to lead and to, in, in many ways, but he's not empowered to do everything. He's not empowered to do the finances, right? If you have yeah. a church of 10,000 people, he can't do the finances. He can't do lead all the programs. He can't lead the worship. He can't yeah. play the guitar if he wants. You know, he just can't do everything. Uh, this is where the body of Christ comes in, right? We're all fit together, mm-hmm. right? One body, you know, a hand, a foot, an eye, et cetera, et cetera. Each of us fit nicely together, um, glorifying God. And this is exactly the reason for that, so that yeah. we can glorify God. And I think, you know, that's, I think that somehow I've seen it well in some large churches, and then I've seen it poorly done in other large churches. And I know that some of those larger churches have already started to fall uh, to a large degree. Attendance starts to fall because they're dependent upon a single individual to draw in the crowd. Yeah. And, and, you know, then we can get into the whole cult of personality, which is a different problem altogether. Yeah. And I, I think mega churches are an easy target for a lot of Christians, especially ones that are um, maybe willing to dig in the Bible a little bit more themselves and kind of have this ideal view of, well, in my church I grew up with, there were 30 of us and, you know, we right. never did anything. Um, <laughs> right. But I actually attended a mega church in, in D.C. or outside of D.C. And my sister went there and that's how I started. And I, I kind of went up with that mentality of like, ah, I'm a mega church. But it was actually great, and what she told me was like, you know what I like about this place is that they have something for whatever stage of life you're in. Like, you got small kids, we have these programs. If you're a little bit older, they got, you know, thing. And one of the coolest things they did was, because of the size and, and the money they had, they started a, I've never seen this anywhere else, a, a, a home for special needs children. And they were able to have this awesome resource for families that could leave their kid overnight for the first time in their lives, you know? So it's not all bad. Whenever you hear mega church, right. it's, it's not inherently a bad thing i do think it lends itself to some dangers that maybe 
you might even have a pastor who loves Jesus as pure, is like, you know, try, and people just really like hearing him talk, and that's that's not wrong, but I, I feel like they they become subject to a lot of people that, I, I guess what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about lately is this Instagram pastor type mentality. If like, you got to grow your following, grow your flock, and you've, you've left basically the idea of growing this flock that God is giving you into having a message that's going to be broad enough to sell books and to look the right part. And they have these videos all the time. And while it's like, it's not, I don't know if it's sin, it might be stupid. <laughs> to, right. So, I would agree, yeah. you know, so what's, what are your thoughts on this, you know, this era we're in now with pastors who have a message that might be great, but it's reaching beyond their church. And I'm not saying that no pastor should put their sermons online, um, but, you know, maybe what are some safeguards against that? If you have, if somebody has a ministry that's starting to grow or anything like that, you would, you would advise? Well, look, you know, social media, let's take a step outside of the realm of the, of the sacred and the church for a second here and talk about even, in, even in the everyday sort of profane, sort of mundane sort of world in which we live, in the secular world, uh, there are lots of problems that are arising due to social media. Uh, it's not surprising then that some of those negative things about social media creep into the yeah. into the religious realm as well. So that's what we need to safeguard ourselves against, so that we don't think that um, it is not as a pastor. If I was a pastor, and I don't want to be a pastor, so you know, but if I was a pastor, what I say and do should not should not be. Uh, the center point as it relates to me, I need to turn that Instagram account or that mm. uh, Facebook page or that blog or whatever the case may be into something that ultimately does glorify God. It's not about me. I am not the, I am not a, 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 a the concept of a Christian influencer really doesn't resonate with me, mm-hmm. right? I'm not an influencer. We just finished having a conversation at this at the beginning of this talk about the work of the Spirit. It yeah. is the Spirit that draws men unto Christ, right? I am just a messenger. You were just a messenger. We as Christians are taking the good news that Jesus Christ is uh, is the Savior of the world, right? We're taking that message. Now, it may come in an Instagram post. It may come in the form of some of these other social media contexts. And who knows what comes next, right? But but I am not the influencer. I am not in charge. It is not dependent upon me. Um, so humility is a key criteria yeah. for success in that social media world. And and we already see it. Like, like, like I said, there are social media, negative social media impacts that, uh, that are because of social media that have nothing to do with the church. And we have to be just careful of that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I think there's, more than ever, the the larger your influence grows, the more your accountability probably has to grow. And Agreed. you know how many mega church pastors fall. And I, I look at these stories. I'm like, how does how how did you let this happen? How did you have an affair? You have this huge platform, and I think it becomes maybe you have surrounded yourself with people that don't hold you to a strong check. And I I think about David's mighty men. You know, and I used to tell my wife this. Like, I want to surround myself with with men that are gonna challenge me on something like hey you know if they see me doing something that's even it's just to speculate but to but to put my integrity in question I, I feel like you have to kind of give that over to people and say like challenge me hit me hard um or else you're just leaving yourself susceptible and we're all we can all easily fall into the same sins and so i look at them and i'm like how could you do this i'm like oh I'm capable of the same thing. Right. I just have not been given the opportunity yet. <laughs> right. And I, I think that that's what my first comment would be is like, look, we all are potentially guilty of the same thing. Yeah. Um, given, uh, and in many cases, given the same opportunity, we'd fall exactly the same way. Yeah. Um, so, 
but I do want to temper that. And, and I think that what happens is again, is, is that, you know, the fall typically is not sort of instantaneous. It's not like he got really famous and then he falls. It's a, it, it starts very slowly, insidiously. It comes along, it builds over time. And eventually these individuals find themselves painted into a corner, whatever that corner may be. Mm-hmm. And, and their fall, unfortunately is a byproduct of a long standing, long running problem. Mm. Um, and I think that this is where you need to have, as you rightly said, you need to have people in close support. You need to have an inner circle who can basically counsel you and you need to be able to go to them. Now I'm not in that position. I don't have a mega church. I barely have an audience. Even my wife hardly likes to listen to me. So, um, you know, uh, my, my point is, is that, you know, I, those are problems which are far from me. But if I was to project what I would need, I think that an inner circle, someone who could counsel me around a regular basis, someone who I feel uh, they feel that they could talk to, they need to have that. They need to have that outlet. Um, in in the in the human sense of that outlet, uh, they also need to continue to devote themselves to prayer and to fellowship, and yeah. the, and prayer as well. So and devote. We're gonna tie it back in. So yeah. that's <laughs> why so I bring him on. He's got. Yeah. I, well, I think about if somebody's listening, like, okay, what's the takeaway? You've made a lot of points. For me, one of the takeaways would be like the the humility factor of humble yourself enough to ask somebody. Hey, will you keep me accountable? I have a friend uh, that I do this with as well. Like we check in on each other and it's honestly, it's not the most enjoyable thing ever to be like, Hey, how's your life? How's your faith? Well, how's your temptation world? Like it's not fun. Um, But when you start to do it with the same people and you have that accountability, it becomes actually strangely, I feel like I can let my guard down with these people and just be like, Oh, we're all the same people because you're not coming to get, take your lumps. Accountability is different to me than punishment and judgment. It's correct. It's a iron sharpening iron type approach. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and you need that. Yeah. You need that outlet. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you do. If, if not, you'll bottle it up and it'll explode, right? So, um, yeah. And that's the beauty of the church. And I think that's what the church can offer. Uh, you know, if, if you're an outsider looking in at the church, it's probably like, this is some corny stuff. Like, I, you know, because you're, perception of it might be from whatever the movies and i watch depictions of churches and movies just to see like how do you see this and some of it mostly a lot of times i think it's unfair but i'm on the inside you know it's the and i try not to bash the church too much be in but i do feel um like credibility because i've devoted my life to service in the church not full-time but from the day i was born i've been in here um you know so i try not to people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones by the way, there's a lot of other things people in glass houses should not do besides throwing stones. <laughs> right. um, but if you're an outsider looking in, you're probably like, this is some hokey stuff. The music sucks. I don't know. Like, why would you, wouldn't you rather be doing this other stuff? But the the power of the church, I think, is what we've been talking about. It's the fellowship. And the fellowship is more than just breaking bread and, and sharing fried chicken together, though, right. though that's it's wonderful mm-hmm. to do that. It's this accountability factor and humility factor, I think, that, yeah. that they come together I just think that verse is so quick and it's, we, we fly through and we take the nice things, but when you dive into it, like it's the teaching. Well, how do you get to the teaching through each other, through people in the church? How do you get the fellowship through people pushing you and uh, sharpening you and breaking bread and prayer? And it's all spirit driven. Um, what's your take on prayer? And I'll be honest, like, you know, I, I try to lead my family. I have a small family right now with, the baby girl and another girl on the way, uh, which is cool. Uh, but you know, it's, it's always, it's often awkward for me with my, Hey Brittany, you want to just 
pray. Like, you know, it's like this weird thing. And I don't know why it's so weird. Um, and we do pray together, but how have you seen it be effective in your time uh, as a Christian and, and in a different scenarios? Any any areas or, or friends that you really saw the, the power of prayer and the Spirit come alive? Sure. Look, pr- the early church um, and Jesus himself, let's be quite blunt, Jesus himself prayed um, and prayed to the Father. Um, so it's not surprising that we should pray as well. And we have a great example of the Lord's Prayer, mm-hmm. which is a nice framework for thinking about how we should pray. It includes praise, it includes worship, it is thankfulness, um, and, it, and, it, and it also is an appeal to say, God help me to, to some, in some way, yeah. shape, or form. And I think those are some you know, basic uh, principles there. Justo Gonzalez, who wrote The History and the Story of the Church, Volume 1, Volume 2, which I talked about in my Church History podcast, um, he has a book out on prayer right now, and I think it's it's about the Lord's Prayer and what does it mean and so forth. Now, I don't agree with everything he said in the book because it's a, um, you know, some authors, some might take a few liberties, but I think he has some great things to say in that book, so I would recommend that book on the Lord's Prayer. Um, but prayer is really powerful. It is the time that you get to spend with God and hear his voice, so to speak. Um, it is a time where you get to devote yourself to something otherworldly. It's a chance to kind of put aside everything. And when you can do that with your wife, when you can do that with a friend, when you can do that with a colleague, when you can do that, those it seems to me that those moments are precious. Mm. Um, they are wonderful. They seem to be ecstatic into you in the proper sense of the term. Um, they seem otherworldly sometimes. They seem rich. And they somehow make life itself richer. Um, it, those moments are just wonderful. And prayer just gives that opportunity for that to happen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think prayer is quite powerful. Um, but I go back to the front end of that verse again and talk about if we don't understand the apostles' teaching, we don't then realize what prayer should be right. about. We don't understand what it is. Apostles' teaching should undergird our activities, the reasons for doing the the things we do, why we do them, how we do them. I think that's what the apostles' teaching should be, uh, would help us get there. Yeah. And I think one of the times I've seen prayer be very effective is when you're not flying through a schedule, when you're not like, okay, better get the next group in, let's get the service going. But it's times of uh, lingering and you just kind of wait on the spirit, you wait on God to say something. Because, like you said earlier, we treat if we treat prayer like a checklist, you know, it's it's nice because we should let God know our our requests, you know, it's it's biblical. But um, this idea of lingering and waiting, and then there's been so many moments where when we're able to do that and stop, like somebody will have a word, like they just feel like God's putting on their heart, like to share, mm-hmm. and that's powerful. And I've been used that that way. I'm like, I just feel like somebody needs to hear this, and somebody will come up later and say that was exactly for me, and. If the Cranberries hadn't written a song called Linger, I really think it'd be a great worship song. <laughs> like, can we just linger in your presence? Can we wait? Um, and so I think that changes our perception of prayer as well, um, to linger with the body of Christ and to wait and to see what he's going to say. Because, you know, we've talked about pastors and the, the teachings of the apostle, but we're also the body of Christ, and we all have a part to play in this. And I think so many people can come to church and be like, well, I didn't, there's nothing for me to do here. And, and maybe that's a fault of the church, and they need to open up um, they're, they need to have more programs or something. I don't know. You know, right. like that's opportunity. A, Let's call it opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I do, I do think that's a, su- a subject that's worth addressing is if you don't speak or sing or whatever, like what can you do at the church? That's a, that's a separate thing. But some people will come to church and be like, I, I don't really have a place here because I don't do any of these things that, that require public speaking skills, but you do have a place in the church as a member of the body of Christ to pray and to fellowship mm-hmm. and to hold one another accountable. And, 
some of the people that have made the biggest impacts in my life have not been the big pastors on the stage. They've been just people that I associate with. So I would encourage anyone listening, start start praying in your life. Get, God, give me words for other people. Give me a heart for other people and give me words of edification. Because I think so many people get freaked out by the Holy Spirit, and rightfully so in, in some ways, the way it's been abused and stuff. But it's a beautiful thing to bring someone before God and say, I'm I'm holding this person's need I'm, because we fellowship, because I know them, bringing their need to God and seeing what God's going to say. And I think you could be really effective. Um, and it's really just a matter of being willing, I think, and asking God. Yeah, look, I mean, like, let's not underestimate this. God himself in the, in the, in the, in the Trinity has chosen to work through his Holy Spirit in the, in the age of the church. Yeah. You know, Jesus is back in heaven. The Father's up there, so to speak. You know, we're just speaking allegorically at this point in time. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is here with us. This is God in the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father and the Son, same same substance as the Father and the Son, um, as, you know, the councils have, you know, the, the early council church, church council has determined, um, and I, I fully agree with. And the third person of the Trinity is the one who's here right now. And, it, you know, it's disrespectful to God himself if we were to think, well, the Holy Spirit's out of control or something like that. That that yeah. seems to me, that is, that is antithetical to what God himself has called us to. Yeah. This is the age of the church. The age of the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is God yeah. himself, the third person of the Trinity. And I think we've lost track of that in the modern church where we want to talk about what program can we institute. Uh, it's good for programs, but if those programs aren't undergirded by the apostle teaching, yeah. if they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit, they ain't going anywhere. Right. That's good. Well, I think we wrapped this thing up perfectly. <laughs> You want to start a church? You can make some good money doing it. Yeah, I'd make a great pastor. Yeah. Well, I want to have Lindley back on um, sometime soon. I want to talk about, I think, because you got to a great point there at the end about the, the Trinity. And um, one of the things you've taught me is God's design for man to be not included in the Trinity. But, you know, we often think of God's, you know, he's on his own. And then man, he hates man, except he's just liked us just enough to die on the cross but i think it's a really a great subject worth um exploring i think it'll illuminate a lot, a lot of what we talked about today does that sound good sounds great look oh, forward you, to it you don't have a choice all right <laughs>